This is Parashat Bamidbar Tapshinayin Tet. In memory of Yosef Hirsch, I've spoken many times about Yosef and how he was special. On the occasion of the 16th Yorkshire, dedicated by his family, I, I did promise the family something written about something, which I haven't been able to do as yet, but I'm hopeful that I will be able to. The Book of Bamidbar, the Book of Bamidbar is a little strange. It starts off with the counting of B'nai Yisrael. Now, if you assume, as both Parashanut assumes, that the Torah contains things of importance, it's hard to understand what the importance of uh, the counting of B'nai Yisrael was. E even if you say that the counting had something to do with the military. You know, so you have to know how many soldiers you have. How many people do you have above a certain age and below a certain age? Even if you say that, we know that this counting at the beginning of the Midbar ultimately had nothing to do with that. Because after the Chet Amiraglim, right, the sin of the spies in the parish of Shlach, right, Bamidbar, Naso Balotcha Shlach. The fourth parasha in Bamidbar is the parasha of the Meraglim. As a result of what happened with the Meraglim, with the scouts, the Jews were punished at that time by 38 years of wandering around in the desert. And those 30, during those 38 years, they all died. All the people who participated at that time, and then the Jews accounted a second time in the book of Bamidbar, in the parashah of Pinchas. You don't have to rush to look it up, but believe me, it's there. So that in the parashah of Pinchas, you could say, you could argue that the Jews were counted, that the Jews were counted in order to prepare them to go into Eretz Israel, prepare them for war, to prepare them for whatever it still remains a mystery as to why they were counted in the book, the beginning of the book of Bamidbar. I summarize. In the book of Bamidbar, the Jews are counted twice. Once in the parish of Bamidbar, and a second time in the parish of Pinchas. Now you could say whatever you want to say about the counting of the parish of Pinchas. You could say it's before they came into Eretz Israel as a landmark in Jewish history. You could say it had something to do with the military obligations they were going to have, even though we know that when they came into Eretz Canaan, they attacked Yericho. The way they attacked Yericho was by running around the walls, and the walls came tumbling down. Now, in such a situation, you don't really need much of an army. It wasn't exactly the army that won the battle. Or when Yoshua saw that, and there was difficulty in the battle against Ai, so Yeshua said the obvious thing. You know, he said, Shemesh begivon dom, viareach be'emek ayalon, which means he said, Look, I need a little more time. He said, Rebellion, so I need a little more time. If the day falls, is that what the day does? The day ends. If the day ends, then I won't be able to win this battle. 
So please, HaKadosh Baruch keep the sun shining and keep the moon from, you know, taking over the heavens. And, and that's what happened. So with those kinds of battles, it's not clear why there had to be a counting of Ben Yisrael before they went into Eretz Yisrael, but that counting is in the parish of Pinchas, not in the parish of Bamidbar. Parsha Bamidbar, the counting remains a kind of a mystery. So the first Rashi, it's, I'm sorry, it's not on the sheet. It's my fault, but it's not on the sheet. So I slept the Chumash with me. The Parsha Bamidbar, the beginning of Bamidbar, Rashi addresses the question. And Rashi says, Mitochi batam lefanav, mone otam kol sha'ah. So Rashi says, because God loved them, meaning B'nai Yisrael, he counts them at every opportunity. He counts them. To me, it always seemed that that Rashi meant that Rashi didn't know the answer to the question. Because HaKadosh Baruch Hu doesn't have to count them. HaKadosh Baruch Hu knows how many there are. Right? It's like magical, mystical. You know, what is, what is that to set Moshe Rabbeinu to count them and make this complicated thing? Mitochi batam lefanav. Mone otam kol sha'ah. He counts them again and again. Remember, the beginning of the book of Shemot. The parasha of, of Kitisa. Parashat Kitisa. Leida and Otarim, we want to know how many are left. Ukishabala, Shochina, Toalehev, when Akodesh Boho comes to envelop them with his presence, Shina, Alehem, Minaam, so that's a good time to count them again. Vechad bin Isan Ukama Mishkan, Vechad bin Iya, Minasam. The first of Nisan, the, the Mishkan was built. First of Iyar, the first of Iyar, Mina Amikandan. That's that's about the very look. I don't know what's the grace of Chiba. I don't understand why Rashi says that this is an act of love to count B'nai Yisrael. Maybe counting is like. Uh, uh, distinguishing. Everybody has a number. Everybody is separate. That even though I can count them, I can add them up together, but when I count them, each one is an individual. Maybe somehow that's called chiba, according to Rashi. <coughs> I don't know. Maybe but I do it's know... It's to communicate to the B'nai Israel that. What? It's to communicate to the B'nai Israel that. Maybe. Maybe. I mean, you mean like Yitzhak Mitzrayim didn't do it, and Matan Torah didn't do it, and Bill the Mishkan didn't do it. Now, we'll count you. That'll do it. I don't know. It's not the way we learn to think about it. The beginning of the parasha of Ayeshev, Bereshit. Right, the beginning of the parasha of Ayeshev. Just one second.
It's really harder when you can't see. Here I am, Vayeshev. If you remember the beginning of Vayeshev, the, the, the Torah says, Vayeshev Yaakov be'eretz begurei aviv be'eretz kenat. That Yaakov dwelt in the land where his fathers lived. You know, after he went to Chutzlaretz, he came back, he lived, he was now in Eretz Kenan. He was now in Eretz Kenan. Eile toldot Yaakov, Yosef ben Shvasre Shanak. Okay. So that's a question. Why do the, does the story of the progeny of Yaakov start from Yosef? Why doesn't it start from Ruvay? who is the eldest. Ruvain, Shimon, Levi, Yehuda were the four sons born first to Leah. And Yosef was born a long time after that to his mother, Rachel. And yet this parasha, which kind of is going to talk about the family of Yaakov and the history of Yaakov. So this parasha starts with Yosef. So Rashi says a few things about that, but one of the things that he says is this. Pirish lecha yishuvei Yaakov etoldotav the Torah is expansive about the story of Yaakov. About Yaakov. Expansive. Everything that happened to them, the children, and what that caused. Cause and effect. That's Gilgulim. And he says, that is an indication that God thinks they're important, or it's important to talk about them, or it's important to learn about them. Right? This same idea, the same thing is true of the Torah, the ten generations from Adam Arishon until Noach. Uh, are stated one after the other, Plony Holidet Plony. We get to Noah, there's a big story that is told. So obviously, we come to the conclusion that a Kodesh had a certain kind of fondness for Noah and not for the ten generations in between, right? The ten generations from Noah to Abraham are told. Briefly in the Torah, he said, And then Rashi says the following, Mashal. What's a Mashal? Mashal is a kind of a metaphor. Like, so when do you bring a metaphor after you bring the explanation of the metaphor? Only when the explanation is somehow doesn't strike you. Like, I want to make it, the metaphor sounds better. <coughs> it's not like like Shira Shirin is a metaphor according to the Rambam right? the Rambam says the love of HaKadosh Baruch Hu Am Yisrael is stated as a metaphor in Shira Shirin as the love of a man for a woman that's what, that's what the Rambam says 
Okay, but here there's something else. Here it says that the love of Hakadosh Baruch Hu for for Noah and Abraham and now Yosef, the love for them is in the lengthy rendition of their lives. That's called Ava, Chiba, right? Ava and Chiba, and then he adds a Mashal. And the mashal is, the mashal is, I'm sorry, I, I, I forgot to, to write this down. She get a mashal in Margalit, a jewel falls into the sand. A jewel falls into the sand. Adam emashmesh bachol, bikovro bikvarah, so he takes a, what do you call that? Shifter. What? Shifter. No, you know, what do they have, those B'nai Brock sifters? You know, like, with very small holes. So you put the dirt into the B'nai Brock sifter, and you sift out the dirt, and you end up with the, with the margalit. And he says, Mishemitza'ah, when you found the jewel, he throws away all the garbage that he has in the sifter, and he takes... The mar the margalit. He takes the margalit. So it's like the bashal says that Kadosh Baruch was telling the story of the Jewish people in the Torah. He talks about Yaakov and Yaakov ran away and Yaakov was with his with Lavan and then he had wives and then he actually came back there to Israel. Ah, and that, that was all in one parak. And now he starts talking about Yaakov and Eretz Israel. That's the margalit. That's the Jew. So in order to explain these two events, the story of Yosef on the one hand, and the story of the counting of B'nai Yisrael, Rashi does something that you're not supposed to do. He anthropomorphizes God. He says God likes it or doesn't like it, right? Which <coughs> is not quite the same as saying God approves of it or disapproves of it. Not, it's not judgment. It's like an emotion. It's like an emotion. So that's what Rashi says about the counting of B'nai Yisrael at the beginning of the parasha of Bamidbar. So the first thing I wanted to say was that I don't understand that Rashi. I don't say what Rashi, why would Rashi say that? The second thing I want to say, the second thing I want to say is that <coughs> there is something noteworthy about the counting of B'nai Yisrael in the desert that should be addressed. And that's, I think it's on, that's on the sheet. The sheet says, Perek Aleph Pasuk Mem You see the sheet? Aleviim Lemate Avotam Lohat Pagdu Betocham But the Leviim the tribe of Levi was not counted bitocham. What does bitocham mean? With them. Right? They weren't counted along with the other tribes. Pasuk Memchet. You should not count the, uh, the, the Levi, the Levites. The et rosham lotisa do not raise up their heads. That's how they counted per capita. 
בתוך בני ישראל, in the midst of בני ישראל. ואתה, but you, who's you, who would you say? Right? Moshe. You would say it's Moshe, right? This is, that's what said in the previous pasuk. Vata avkeded alaviim al mishkan ha'idut v'alkol keilav, and you put them in charge of the mishkan, the tabernacle, eidut, where the aseret that they brought are, v'alkol keilav, and all the vessels of the mishkan, v'alkol ha'shelo, and everything connected to it, they, the Leviim, are the ones who are going to be charged with carrying the Mishkan and all of the vessels. They will serve it. And they shall dwell around the Mishkan. Right? They won't be one of the tribes in the regular, regular places which is around the Mishkan Ha'idut, right, like a, like a square, three tribes on each side, but the Levim should be near the Mishkan Ha'idut. That's what the Pasuk, that's what the Pasuk says. Rashi, Rashi goes on and Rashi says, it's, it's reasonable that the officers, those people who are in charge of protecting should be counted separately. In other words, what is Rashi, what problem does Rashi have? Rashi doesn't understand why, what the connection is between what Levi is going to do and the fact that they that, that they counted separately. I mean, everybody's counted separately. Ruvain is counted as Ruvain and Shimon as Shimon and Levi as Levi. Everybody's counted separately. So what does this mean where the Pasuk says, Pasuk Mem Zayin and it was when you added it all up. How many are there? B'nai Yisrael. You say there's B'nai Yisrael and there's B'nai Levi. But what was the point? What was the point? Why couldn't you count the B'nai Levi just like you counted the B'nai Ruvain, the B'nai Shimon, the B'nai Levi? What's the difference? What is the difference? So Raji says, Kedaihu. What is Kedaihu? I mean, it's a word from the Medrash. What's Kedaihu? It's like reasonable. Reasonable means that if it wasn't that way, I wouldn't say anything. Would it bother me if they counted B'nai Levi along with everybody else? I don't think so. So Rashi says, What is the Varacher? The what? Yeah, yeah, but I mean, what, what does it say about the first interpretation? Something missing. Maybe, yeah, you know. There's something that that's annoying Rashi. Something maybe what we said that the fact that that Levi has special tafkidim, he could still be counted with all of Bnei Yisrael, but counted separately. All the tribes are counted separately. Every tribe is counted on its own. Rashi says the Varacher. Safa Kodesh Bochu Shatida Lamod. You see those words? Safa HaKadosh Baruch Hu. HaKadosh Baruch Hu noted, right, saw the future. Safa means the future. 
שעתידה לעמוד גזירה על כל הנמנים מבין עשרים שנה ומעלה. All of the ones who counted, who were counted, all of the, the people of Israel, all the tribes that were counted, who <coughs> would be counted, uh, and they would be punished. They would be punished in the parish of Shalach, right? They will all die in the desert. Amar, so HaKadosh Baruch Hu said, Al yu elu bichlal, lefi sheim sheli, shelota uba'edah. These are my people, they're not bichlal, they're not included. In other words, in order for Rashi to give some sort of comprehensible understanding of what was going on, he had to resort to a medrash which talks about God acting in the future. Like it's like, you imagine God says to Moshe Rabbeinu, don't count them with everybody else, count them separately. Moshe Rabbeinu says, why? He says, I can't tell you. Because I can't tell you what's going to happen in the future exactly. But believe me, this is the way it has to be. <coughs> so I feel it's a, it's a weak presentation by Rashi, the second interpretation, but it's a necessary one, according to Rashi. Necessary. Okay. But, but the Midrash is inconsistent. They, they, they wandered for... What do you mean? The Midrash has many opinions. Yeah, what do no, mean? They wandered for 38 years because of the Chet Maraglin. It is Chet Yeah, okay. Okay, and you're right. But we're not talking about that. But I thought also counting them is a sign of love. So don't count mine, don't count the Levine. It's also a problem. Right? Okay. Uh, let's look at the Ramban. I just said, do we have McCord that the Bnei Levi yes. didn't cry and didn't participate in the Hetemar Glim? Who, the Levian? Yeah. The Levian were... No, we don't have that. But they were in the Mishkan Ha'idut. They had a different... Uh... Anyway, according to that, I mean, that may be the reason that, you know... That when Moshe Rabbeinu said Mila Shem Eli after the Chet Ha'egel, so that sort of sealed their fate on the good side. Uh-huh. And even if they did something wrong, so they were yeah, different right. than everybody else. Uh-huh. So let's look at the Ramban. You see the Ramban? I'm going to read the Ramban. It's a very important Ramban in my opinion. He named it Chilara Amo Shemidato Shalolim Anot Alabiim. Say it again. He named. That this business not counting the Levim, Moshe Rabbeinu knew that all along. He knew that he wasn't going to count them with everybody else. How did he know that? What? Okay, he's going to tell you the Ramban. He's got a defense. He says that when they counted them, each tribe had to show up with a nasi. Each tribe was led by a uh, exilarch, right? And the inay Lo mana otam. So Moshe Rabbeinu said, since there is no nasi for Bnei Levi in the list, 
in the beginning of the parasha, there's a list of the Nesim of the different tribes, but there's no Nesim for Levi. So, so the Ramban said that Moshe Rabbeinu was a good student in the yeshiva. And he saw that there was a difference between all the tribes and the tribe of Levi. All the tribes, God said, bring the Nasi when you count them. And the Levi didn't have a Nasi. So Moshe Rabbeinu knew that he would not count them. Okay? He would not count them. Moshe misupak as a result, Moshe Rabbeinu was like, didn't know what to do. Should he count them? Shouldn't he count them? He didn't know. We talked about before this pasuk, in Perak Allah pasuk, whatever it is. right? Before God said, don't do it, do it this way, don't do it that way, Moshe Rabbeinu, it wasn't clear to him. It was not clear to him. He says, uh, I'm sorry. I'm in the fifth line, the third word. One, two, three, four, five, sixth line, third word. When all the tribes had been counted and only, <coughs> only the Levim were left out, then HaKadosh Baruch Hu said to him, He should count them alone, the Bnei Levi, and not including everybody else. Because with everybody else, there's a subtotal and a total. Right? Each tribe has a subtotal, and then it's all totaled up to 600,000. Right? But the Leviim were not included in that total. They had their own, they had their own counting, right? Bama Lahalan. Again, Vimne Otam Levadam. He should count them separately. Ki Yafki Dem, because God will place them responsible to me for Mishkan Ha'idut Vamar. Pakodet Bene Levi. Tell them, count them. This is the Ramban. This is the Ramban. And then the Ramban says this. And he, he brought Aaron into the picture. He, Moshe Rabbeinu, it wasn't that Aaron was the Nasi of B'nai Levi. He was the patriarch of the family. But he wasn't officially a nasi. Vehu kara aharon sheye imoki hu nasi hashevetahu. He in fact was the nasi. He wasn't the nasi like the other nasiim who who appear in a list at the beginning of Bamidbar. But he was like the head of the family. Kasher ayu nasi nasiye Yisrael b'shiftayim, just like all the patriarchs were. In each tribe had one. Similarly, similarly, Aaron became like the Nasi. Who appointed Aaron the Nasi? Moshe Rabbeinu. How do I know that Moshe Rabbeinu appointed him the Nasi? Because he called them. He said, I'm going to go count them. I want you to come with me. I want you to help me. You're the Nasi. It was Moshe Rabbeinu's appointment. So according to the Ramban, 
According to the Ramban, Moshe Rabbeinu originally knew that he wasn't supposed to count the Leviyim. Right? And he knew that the Remez was, they didn't have a Nasi. Every other tribe was counted with the Nasi. Finally, HaKadosh Baruch says to them, no, you would count them separately. He knew that, that that would be the case. And he appointed, he, Moshe Rabbeinu, seems to have appointed Aaron Nasi. How could he appoint Aaron Nasi? Look at the next line in the, in the, in the Ramban. Liza Atama Nekud al Aharon. Aharon. You see, Bamidbar Perigimel, the source Bamidbar Perigimel, Pasuk Lamatet, no? The third Pasuk is Lamatet. It says, Moshe Aaron. But what is he talking about? You see, the Rabban says, Tam Hanakud al Aaron. What do you say? The Barilan is not perfect. I'm so unhappy. I'll show you. <coughs> this is all, I think, mostly taken with the Barilan. Gimel. 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 Lamites, right? Abraham, you, you want to read the Pasuk? No, you read it above the Chumash. I mean, you have to read it from the Chumash. This, this is called the Chumash. This is like a standard, typical, regular Chumash, as regular as it could be. It's put out by a company called Hamar. So it's a little clearer than the old Chumashim, but it's all. Okay, go. Ah, and how does Va'aron look? The word Va'aron. It's got the measles. It doesn't have the measles. It has dots on it. If it had the measles, it would be on the letters themselves. Okay. So there you go. There you go. Now you know what, letter, what dots are letters. So there's a... I have here... There's a Masechet called Sofrim. There's a collection of halachot, a collection of halachot from Tanaim and Amoraim called Masechet Sofrim, which is usually printed in the volume of Shas called Avodazara. How, why that happened, it, it was, I think, what I think is that when they published the Shas in Vilna, they had a problem selling it. They were afraid if they, if they published the whole Shas, nobody would be able to buy it. It's like trying to buy Schottenstein today, right? You know, you have to move to a bigger house. <laughs> so, so, uh, uh, so the Almone Rom, or somebody in that business, was a good business person, and they decided to sell the Shas volume by volume. So the first volume they sold was Brachot. It's an interesting, it was, it's interesting if you ever have uh, time or inclination to take the volume called Brachot, and look in the back at all the things they put in extra to kind of convince people to buy it. By the time they got to Avodah which is like, what, 10 volumes in, you know, people got bored of paying all that money 
for just getting Masechtot. So they put out Avodah they made it also special. They put in all kinds of extra stuff, you know, like, like people do today, except in those days, the only extra stuff they could think of putting into a Gemara is more Gemara. So I guess the things have changed a little bit, but uh, so that's Avodah Zorah. So the second Sokrim is about Sefer Torah. And in Perik Vav, which I'm looking at, Halacha Gimel, it says, Esa Nekudot Torah. There are ten words or ten different places in the Torah where there are dots. And it quotes this, this word, Aharon, as one of those places. And in fact, if you look into a Sefer Torah that you read in the Shul on, on Shabbat, this Shabbat, this Shabbat is from Midbar, right, in Israel? So if you look in the Sefer Torah, when you look at that word Aharon, you'll see that it has dots on it. The dots are very early. They're not uh, punctuation marks. They are just dots. So what are they there for? So there was a problem in the olden times. If you wrote on parchment, let's say you were writing something on parchment, yes? And then you wrote a word that, you added a word by mistake. You know that something copies to people who type, do that all the time, they, they suddenly, they, they, they don't type what they're reading, they type what's in their head. And they type, uh, so you write an extra word. So what do you do with an extra word written on parchment? What do you do with the extra word? So if you have to replace the word by another word, so you take a knife and you scratch away at it, right? And eventually you hope that you'll scratch away and you'll have enough parchment left to write correctly. But what if you add a word, so, or another possibility is you scratch away and you make a hole in the parchment. So you could take... Uh, a piece of parchment and glue it on on the back and then keep writing in a Sefer Torah. Yes, but what do you do if you have an extra word, if you've written an extra word that doesn't belong there? Because if you scratch it out, you scratch out that extra word, you end up with a space. And somebody can come along and add something in that space and you don't want that. So the method that was devised, the method that was devised, when you have an extra word in a document, in a, in a contract, so what you do is you put dots on it. You don't erase it physically, but you put dots on it which indicate that that word doesn't belong there. Okay? We got it? In the Pirkei de Rabbi Lazar, Pirkei de Rabbi Lazar is like the Tosefta of Pirkei Avot. It's Tanaitic material. There's the record, it records a conversation between HaKadosh Baruch Hu and Ezra HaSofer. You know that Ezra HaSofer was called HaSofer because he was the ultimate Sofer. What does that mean? He corrected the Torah. When the Jews came back from Babel, even though they'd only been in Babel 50 years and then 70 years and maybe 100 years, when they came back from Babel, they lived in different places. And they wrote Sifrei Torah, apparently, and they weren't always so careful about how they wrote. So Ezra had to determine what the text of the Torah was, what the correct text of the Torah was. So Ezra says, 
Ezra says to HaKadosh Baruch look, these ten places, I'm not sure if the word should be there or it should not be there. So if it should be there, I'm quoting, if it should be there, I wrote it. And if it shouldn't be there, I put dots on it. That's Ezra's trick. Ezra Sofer, that was his trick for making a perfect kind of Torah. So that means that that word Aaron, which Abraham said has dots on it, right? That word Aaron is written and not written in the Torah. And we don't know why, but the Ramban says, the Ramban says maybe that's because originally Aaron was not part of the was not the Nasi of the tribe of Levi, and that eventually Moshe Rabbeinu brought him in to act like the Nasi of the tribe of Levi. And in order that we should not think that the tribe of Levi was like all of the other tribes, well, we shouldn't think that. He put dots on the word Aaron when he taught it to B'nai Yisrael. So, there you have it. This is an Avod Rabbi Natan or in Pekid Rabbi Eliezer? No, Avod the Rabbi Nasser. What did I say? I didn't say that. I think Paragraph of Gimel. Avod the Rabbi Nasser is a very big book. It's a very big book. What? Say it again. In order that people should not think or in order that people should think? No, no, Ezra said, I don't know. Oh, oh which people? People the, the, the No, so he's not sure whether, whether it was the original intention of HaKadosh Baruch that Aaron should be there, or the original intention was that Aaron should not be there. Right, but then the next sentence. What? About whether you should think that he was part of the tribe, part of the Nasir of the tribe, or not of the Nasir of the tribe. Right. Right, so I didn't know what... Both, both are possible. Uh, Ezra didn't know. Uh-huh. Ezra didn't know, but the Ramban uses that as an indicator that the inclusion of Aaron, so to speak, in the, in the process was not obvious, was not clear. It was a Moshe Rabbeinu invention. It wasn't really what HaKadosh Baruch Hu originally intended. That's what he says. <coughs> now this separation... Who, who uh, says that Ezra said that? That's the Ovos the Rabbi Nosa. The Ovos the Rabbi Nosa, I say, is like the Tosefta of Pirkei Avot. So In other words, Mishnah, Mishnah was, was compiled by Rabbi Yudha Nasi. And there's another compilation that is similar to the Mishnah called Tosefta. Right? And that was compiled by students of Rabbi Yudanasi. Very similar. So it's like there's the Mishnah, that's like the main thing, and then there's the Tosefta, which has a collection of left out material. Some time difference between Ezra and the person who says this is what Ezra meant. Oh, oh, how, when, when was it? Uh, I don't know if there's a time difference. I don't know. It could be more or less contemporary. Well, well, the almost the Mishnah was written long after Ezra. Eight, eight, what? Ezra, Ezra came back to Ezra came back to Zerubbabel came back in 535 BCE, and and uh, and 
what's his name? Shimon Nagadol, the Kohen Gadol, as like 250 BCE. I'm sorry, uh, Alexander the Great was 333, I think, BCE. Alexander the Great. Alexander the Great met up with Tanaim. Alexander the Great, the first, and, and from that time until about 250 or 200 CE is the period of the Tanaim. So during that period, the Pirkei the Rabbi was written. I don't know how it was written. It was written pieces or put together, taken apart, but you know, I don't, I don't know that. When you saw it in the bar lot, they didn't have the dots? Is that the mistake you said? Well, yeah, that's what you have here. Yeah, okay. You have it here without dots. Is that purpose or that's just I imagine it was difficult. Since there's only ten words like that, you'd have to have more lines in the program. I, mean, I think it was just a problem for the program because those dots appear in the Sefer Torah. And they appear in all the fancy Tanakhim. The Korean Tanakh, the Ephil Yidiot Achronot Tanakh, they all appear uh-huh. in all the Tanakh. They're, they're, very also, long. they're also on the Sephardia website. I just <laughs> oh, yeah, they're in there? Yeah. yeah. I, I don't use that. It looks I funny. use it every day. Yeah, it looks funny to me. Like, you know. But it's okay, because to show you that somebody is trying to use the internet for good. So look at here the Rambam. I, I, I'm left with the question of. How did this happen? That, uh, that Levi is designated, okay, it's true, they deserved, they deserved to be rewarded for not participating in the Chaita Ege. But why didn't they participate in the Chaita Ege? I mean, why, why B'nai Levi? Why weren't they just people who didn't participate? Look at Aaron, was a central participator. Well, I mean, so we, they, he's defended. He's the one with the dots. He's defended by the fact that he tried to uh, to do something that would avoid a major catastrophe for everybody, but he was not able to do it. But isn't there also sort of an issue that Levi isn't really a tribe when you're making the 12 tribes? I watch out for Hasidut. Just let's look at the Rambam. Hilchos Zora, Perik Aleph, the end of the Perik. The Rambam says this. It got stronger and stronger. What's it? I mean, of course, you, you don't see it, but that's what Perik Aleph is about. Avodah Idolatry. Idolatry was rampant, the Rambam says. With the children of Yaakov and those who joined up with them. So that by the time the family of Yaakov was established, the whole thing was on the verge of collapse. What's the whole thing? The whole thing is what Avram Avinu invented that you could look, that you have to worship one God and you can't worship a multiplicity of gods. And here the Rambam says that the children of Yaakov gave it up. They were all idolaters. And there was in the world a nation that Yodat et Hashem ad, right? There was in the past, there was this nation. Until 
until they were slaves in Mitzrayim. Then they once again learned from the Egyptians how to act. And to be idolaters, like they were. Chutz mi shevet levi shamad b'mitzvat avotav. Only shevet levi was able to maintain the tradition of one God. Of uh, and furthermore, chutz shevet levi was avot olam the end of the second line lo avat shevet levi. Avodat Kochavim. Shevet Levi never did an idolatrous act, even in Mitzrayim, even enslaved in Mitzrayim. They were enslaved in the same way. Right? They weren't enslaved in the same way, Shevet Levi? Well, that's an explanation. I, I don't know. Yeah. I'm just reading the Rambam. You know how you know. Uh, you know I am. I'm very much a nudnik when it comes to that. Kimat kat, kimat kat. That's Hebrew. In a in in a moment, in a moment, ayayikar sheshatal Abraham. You see the Rambam's idea of Jew, the Jewish people, right? Kimat kat. He just was just that close to the element that. It was implanted by Avraham, Nekar uprooted, Vichosrim, Bnei Yaakov, Lita Uta Olam, Vitaiyutam. They were this close to becoming like everybody else. That's what happened to them in Israel. They were going to become idolaters, they were going to become like the Egyptians, they were going to just be like everybody else in the world. Because God loved them. And because God loved them, loved them, God loved them, He produced Moshe Rabbeinu, and He sent him. Since Nitnabe Moshe Rabbeinu Bachar Hashem et Yisrael Lenachala, and God, God uh, uh, accepted Bnei Yisrael as the inheritors. Hechtirad b'mitzvot, b'odiyan derech avodato, umayye mishpat avodat kochavim. He taught them the mitzvot. And the Derech Avodato, you see that the Ramam holds that the mitzvot are what protect us. They're the limit. If you do the mitzvot, you won't fall into that, into that trap. Mishpat Avodat Kochavim, Vikol HaToim Acharav. So you see that the creation of Am Yisrael, according to the Rambam, according to the Rambam, and we just had Pesach, not just, but not so long ago, according to the Rambam, uh, Pesach is about the victory of an idea. The idea is that there's one God, that God created the world, and that you have to accept directives from God. That's, that's the, the victory of Yitziat Mitzrayim. Why is it a victory? Because we, all, oh, we almost lost. 
we were influenced by and accepted for a while and became part of <coughs> the idolatrous world. But within that world, and even though Moshe Rabbeinu was a gift from heaven, expressing God's love for B'nai Yisrael, the Rambam cannot understand how they could be a world. The Rambam, right? The Rambam living in Alexandria, in Spain, learning Torah and teaching Torah, he could not understand that there could be a period of time when Am Yisrael would reject the Torah. So that as unlikely as it seems, after all, the Rambam was not talking about history. The Rambam was not, was not trying to tell us that something is historically accurate or not historically accurate. What the Rambam is saying is, you know, they answered the question. And the question is not why was, why were the Leviim rewarded for not participating in the Chaita Egel? <coughs> The question was, why didn't the Levine participate in the Chet HaEgel? Should I say it again? The way I understand the Rambam is that the Rambam's question was not what, uh, why did the Levine, or why were the Levine rewarded for not participating in the Chet HaEgel? The question was, why didn't the Levian participate in the Chet Egel? Why were they just Levian? Why weren't there a few people from here and a few people from there? Everybody else participated in the Chet Egel. But the Chet Egel indicated that the Levian was separate, that they had something special to them. And this was the saving factor, according to the Rambam, of the Jews in Egypt. The Jews didn't even scream to God. They said, get us out of here. It was only 210 years and not 400 years as was promised to Avram Avinu. But they said that we can, we're not going to make it. We're not going to make it for 400 years. You've got to get us out of here. got to get us out of here now. And so Kodesh Baruch <coughs> did so. But what kept them going for the 210 years, what made it possible to see that community as Am Yisrael was the tribe of Levi, according to the Rambam. It doesn't matter whether it's historically accurate, but the Rambam's intuition seems to me to be correct. That had to be something. It couldn't just be that everybody was an idolater and that God saved them. That doesn't make sense. There had to be a redeeming feature. B'nai Israel had to prove that they were worthy. And that worthiness, that worthiness came through the tribe of Levi. And so, Loho found the tribe of Levi was not counted with all of the other, with the other Jews, because ultimately they would be working in the Mishka. They, they were separate. But the question is, what made them that way? When did they become that way? So according to the Rabbah, it was already, already in, in Mitzrayim. They separated themselves. They became as they were. So the Vedras says that they learned Torah, they didn't participate, didn't have to do Avodah. You know, it was like from the point of view of the Egyptians, you know, the conqueror, the conqueror always has to figure out what he can give to the conquered that'll enable them to be docile and quiet. Right? When Koresh took over the, uh, Koresh Cyrus took over the Babylonian Empire, 
We took over the Babylonian Empire. So the Babylonians said, we've got to quash religious independence. Babylonians. Because religious independence often leads to revolution. The revolution comes from people who are thinking differently than we are thinking. Koresh, and so they, were, they, they destroyed the Beit HaMikdash, and they did not allow the Beit HaMikdash to be rebuilt. They, who's they? The Babylonians. The Babylonians didn't allow it. When, when the Persians conquered, <coughs> when the Persians conquered the Babylonian Empire, they established a different theory. And they said, religion is calming. It's good that people should have some place to go where they can sing a few songs and be happy together. And so Cyrus Koresh allowed the Jews to start rebuilding the Beit HaMikdash when they came back to Eretz Israel. When they came back there, so, so these theories, right, I mean, it, it's all the same, right? The communists, the communists didn't like religion because they didn't like separate organizations, separate centers of authority, so they decided to wipe it out. Then, towards the end of the uh, reign of uh, communism, they, they realized that... Uh, you know, it's the cheapest way of giving people entertainment. If you, if you know anything about the church of, uh, in Russia, you know what I mean. And so they, they reopened it. They reopened it. They didn't believe any more than they believed before. But they thought the people needed, needed it. So all the churches that had become gymnasiums became churches again, you know, in Russia. So the Levium was seen as being special. And therefore, because they were special, they didn't participate in the, in the Egel HaZahab. They were the only ones who had a strong feeling about the Zorah. So they actually saved the Jewish people in Egypt and probably saved the Jewish people after the Chayit HaEgel. Right? That you can't... Uh, that Kodesh Baruch said he would forgive them, but he had to forgive somebody who wants to be forgiven. And the only ones who were in that category, apparently, are the, were the B'nai Levi. So B'nai Levi were not counted by everybody else, but they were counted. The word Aaron has dots on it, which means it either belongs there or it doesn't belong there. The Ramban sees that as being a source for understanding that Moshe Rabbeinu knew that they weren't going to be counted with everybody else, that the subtotal would not be without a clue gravy. And that the reason for all of this was that it was ingrained in them, somehow from Yaakov Avinu, according to the Rambam, that they would sit and learn Torah and do the mitzvahs and maintain that tradition. That was, their, that was their job. And I guess the Egyptians were willing to let them do that because they felt that uh, give it a little in order to get a lot. Okay, have a good job. Next week we'll do Megillah Shrus a little bit. Next week, Megillah Shus. I hope. Megillah Shus is very difficult.